Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. The Matthew Wright Show on Crucible of Broadcast Excellence. Talk Radio. Put it on and keep it on. Too busy to catch us on the afternoons on talk radio. Too many children to care for. Too many jobs to manage. Well, never fear. Help is here in the shape of the Matthew Wright podcast, where we cut down three hours of entertainment and enlightenment every afternoon into tiny bite-sized morsels just for you, you busy so-and-so. So sit back and enjoy the best of the Matthew Wright Show here on talk radio. I wonder what we make of the former head of Britain's Equalities watchdog, Trevor Phillips, being suspended from the Labour Party as they investigate uh, various allegations of Islamophobia. Uh, Phillips, who previously chaired the Equality and Human Rights Commission, said he was informed that he was being investigated over past comments, including remarks about the abuse of young girls by Pakistani Muslim men in towns like Rotherham, and what was the other one I mentioned? The failure of some Muslims to wear poppies on Remembrance Sunday. Um, Labour said it takes all complaints of Islamophobia extremely seriously. It's possibly worth mentioning that uh, Trevor Phillips was um, a, a serious critic of Labour in its uh, lacklustre approach to uh, uh, claims of anti-Semitism within the rank and file. Uh, but as I said earlier, that Phillips himself seems to refute all of this, saying you know, he's not a racist, but he then made that remark that, that Muslims aren't like us, which I found rather troubling. Here to um, discuss, uh, Mick Dadversi, spokesperson for the Muslim Council of Britain. He joins us on the line now. Good afternoon to you, sir. Good afternoon. It's um, I suppose I, I, I I'm I'm conflicted about this because Trevor Phillips seemed to have done such great work back in the day. What 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 were your concerns about his comments uh, about Muslims? Some of these past comments, McDonald. I think the reality is the number of comments he's made about Muslims in the in the recent past are seriously problematic. It, 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 what we have to think about is, um, as you rightly pointed out, his his. Framing is Muslims are not like us. That's his. That's his yeah. frame on all of this stuff. He, he, for example, thinks, and the way that he does this is, you know, every, everyone can have different views, but he says, for example, Muslim, the way that Muslims are different are, is, for example, that we don't report terrorism when we see it in our midst. But the evidence that he cites actually shows the opposite. <laughs> he say he says that Muslims uh, have sympathy with terrorists. But we don't, and there's lots of evidence which, which demonstrates that not to be the case. When a Christian girl was put into foster care and the, the parents were Muslim, he called that akin to child abuse. When actually, you know, that, that family was actually a very loving family and reporting on this. He consistently talks about Muslims as unable to integrate with the rest of society. 
But the evidence shows the Muslims are integrating like everybody else. Can I just... So uh, I, just, yeah, just, just on... Cause, so the actual quote he gave uh, to uh, to a radio station earlier this morning is, uh, he says, I'm kind of surprised that, 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 that what is and always has been an open Democratic Party decides that its members cannot have a healthy debate about how we address differences of values and outlooks. And he concludes by saying, they say I'm accusing Muslims of being different. Well, actually, that's true. The point is Muslims are different. And this is the, the bit that I, I really wanted to hear your thoughts on, Mikdad. And in many ways, I think that's admirable. Now, I, I understand, I believe, where you're coming from, and I, and I, and I share your, your views, but it's just at that, that twist at the end when he says, I think it's admirable. Can he be sort of guilty of sort of racistly denigrating Muslim brothers and sisters when he then says, actually, I think their differences are admirable? Well, all of the evidence suggests the opposite. Um, when you look at his statements historically, he may choose to use one phrase in one place to try and almost hide everything else. But we have to look at the evidence and the outcomes of what he's saying. I mean, if you look at any statement he's made about Muslims over the last five years, you can Google it, look for it, make your own judgment. You will see consistently the same idea. The Muslims are not just different in a bad way, but in a dangerous way. And he does this again and again and again. So whilst he might say once that, oh, that's a good thing, all his writing, all his public statements suggest the opposite. And that's what we have to look at. Not what he's when he's you know um, being uh, criticised, what he tries to respond with, but what he's been saying when he's had the platform, when it's his column out there, and and it's really dangerous because the, the statements and the framing that he puts together were literally copied word for word by people like Tommy Robinson. They they, they got it, the way that the far right look at this, and if you try and understand, as of course many people do, what are the far right thinking right now when it comes to Muslims? They're focused on Muslims. That's their that's a lot of the far right. Um, concern right now is Muslims are different because they don't report terrorism because they're different because they are um, they have sympathy with these terrorists they're different from all of us literally the wording that Trevor Phillips uses and the framing that he uses is the framing of the far right and it's what the far right use they, they've literally Tommy Robinson actually uh, copied and pasted if you like the, the words from Trevor Phillips in his public statements. I mean, that's really dangerous. Um, and, and, I, and we just have to be honest about that and say, you know what, this, this is not something that can be just um, swept under the carpet. And many, many Muslims will say, you know, who've heard Trevor Phillips talk in this way in the past, will, will, will probably say things like good riddance. But, you know, this is obviously a, an internal question for the Labour Party. I'm not going to get involved in their own process. No, very, very wise. <laughs> which, which, which have their own issues. Um, Mick Dad, here's Kevin for you. I just wanted to ask you, Mick Dad, uh, uh, why these are uh, charges relating back uh, five years. The Labour Party now says it's a question of urgency, a matter of urgency that uh, Trevor Phillips is suspended. Why have they yeah. done this now? Why didn't, didn't they do it five years ago? Uh, I think some of these are within the last uh, year or two. But, but yes, you, you're right. Some of these have, have happened longer ago. I can't answer the Labour Party. I have no idea why they've chosen now to do it. There may be lots of reasons, and, and their their own rationale for choosing to do so is one I can't justify. Maybe someone complained about it recently and therefore they responded to it. I don't know. But all I can say, uh, but if you actually notice, a lot of the suspensions that have happened um, in the Labour Party for a range of different things have been due to things that they've said a long time ago. Um, and I, I look, I uh, because people have, uh, I agree with that. Yeah, I've got you there. Yeah. So, 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 but the thing is, I don't know. I mean, Labour Party will have to answer that question. But reading from the sides, it looks like 
it looks like someone's complained about it. That's probably why they've looked at it now. Well, their machine is not famous for moving uh, quickly. Can I, can I just, uh, <laughs> can I just uh, uh, ask you one thing? Just for clarity, you are saying that the former chair of the uh, Equalities and Human Rights Commission is guilty of Islamophobia. I am saying that these statements are clearly problematic when it comes to Muslims, and whatever definition of Islamophobia, or of racism, of discrimination, of hatefulness, of problematic statements when it comes to Muslims you want to use, if someone says things that are, are the same narrative as the far-right Islamophobes, we have a serious problem. The Matthew Wright Show on Talk Radio. It's a story involving PTSD, which is a subject that is close to my heart. Uh, and what we have is the widow uh, of a soldier, Jamie Davis was his name, and he um, suffered severe post-traumatic stress disorder after a tour of uh, Afghanistan. Um, he was sweeping for uh, explosive devices in the front of patrols to give you some idea about how terrifying that job must have been for him. And um, rather tragically, or very tragically, he took his own life uh, this year after surviving not just Afghanistan but Iraq as well. And he complained prior to his suicide that the mental health support offered by the army and the NHS uh, wasn't good enough. This, according to his widow, uh, Alicia. Um, I mean, it's a heartbreaking story and one that I think we can see played out on the streets of Britain. You don't have to look very far to find people on the streets that if you can be bothered to speak to them, and you should, it's it's shocking how many of them will have served in our armed forces. And I know, uh, as someone who suffered PTSD from much milder reasons, but what a debilitating... Well, debilitating puts it mildly you can stare into the abyss that is for sure and i've been lucky enough to seek out some support but we hear it so often with the military that i don't know it just it's troubling for me i have to say Um, i'm turning for guidance here to patrick ray campaign director at ptsd resolution this is a charity which offers counseling to uk armed forces we're talking veterans reservists and also to their families who can suffer too and patrick joins us on the line now good afternoon to you sir Hi, how are you? I, I, I'm good. I, I, as I say in my intro, it's, 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 I've become increasingly aware of the plight uh, of people with poor mental health and, and the services always seems to be at the very forefront, or, or certainly of my conscious thinking. Um, it seems that not enough has been done for a very long period of time now. Absolutely. Uh, unfortunately, while the situation is a little better, it's still nothing like uh, uh, the sort of resource that's required to help the many, many thousands of uh, veterans and families that are still suffering. Unfortunately, charities like ours, PTSD Resolution, there's just no government funding for us. Uh, uh, and whilst there is funding for combat stress and help for heroes, uh, they use it for their own campaign, so there's little in the way of distribution to, to other uh, charities like ours, which have a, a, a very high rate of resolution of symptoms. Which is, which is something to, for us all to bear in mind. And I, I know firsthand from a charity that I support called Fishing for Forces, again, using fishing as a way to help uh, injured service people. And again, it's always a battle to secure the funds. But I guess, I guess at the heart of this is the sheer number of people that need help. Well, it is, um, but, but resources are, are frankly not directed in the right direction. We, if I may just describe what we do and the, the success we have, we have 200 therapists nationwide, so it's a national network. We usually treat people within a matter of, often within days, usually no more than a few weeks. That compares with the national health, but may take literally months, uh, as many of the veterans listening to this will know, literally months, uh, and then often it's the wrong sort of treatment. Uh, for example, it, it might be a sort of group session, which uh, when a, a veteran's re- recounting what happened to him or her, 
can not only re-traumatise the veteran, but also the other people in the group who might That's be there crazy. because they're involved in an accident, and also the therapist. So the, the, the uh, system that we use is, is well-tried and tested. We've had 2,500 referrals to date. We've been going for nine years, uh, and it's very carefully um, uh, utilised so that the veteran doesn't have to talk about what happened to them, but they, through their own mind, they go back through it with using uh, deep relaxation that the therapist puts them into a very relaxed state. Uh, and we usually have resolution over no more than five sessions on average. When we say resolution, incidentally, that means that both the veteran and the therapist agree that no further treatment is, is required. C- could I ask you, Patrick, I'm kind of... I'm kind of nervous. What does it cost to get someone... I know everybody is different and there's a, a different amount of time needed from sure. different people, but if you could give us a rough idea, a sort of average, a mean average on what the cost okay. might be. Well, for a start, the, the treatment we deliver is free. It's free to veterans and free to their families. But, but obviously you have to pay within the charity. We have to pay. Yeah. It's six, £650 for a full course of treatment. Now, it's, it's, it, it is incredibly low, I have to say, because comparable regimes, uh, uh, many thousands of pounds. We get this so low because we own no assets and we pay no salaries. We pay the therapist to deliver the treatment, people like me, we're volunteers wherever possible. Um, uh, we, we operate virtually. So all those huge costs you see, charities, many charities accumulating and passing on and taking from donations, we don't do that. Um, I don't want to disparage other no. charities, but... But our model is very well, specifically lean and... £650 is a lot less than it's going to cost well, when someone ends up in A&E and ends up using a hospital bed for two or three days yeah, just to get Or killing to, themselves or, and, and or, the impact yeah. on their yes, families. Yeah. I mean, I'm actually... If I'm honest, Patrick, yeah. I think that's really... I mean, I'm I, really I, surprised. I I'm actually really yeah. surprised. If you're saying that you can have that resolution within five sessions, here, here. then why is no one... Why is the NHS not supporting that? Well, because they're, they have their... I'm not going to sit stand here no. and justify the NHS. They have their own regimes, their own patterns, that are, 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 are patterns of therapy that seem... But we need to rethink the system. If we, we don't have enough mental health nurses. Totally. So we've got a, if we've got a lack of... that, yeah. The system is broken. Yeah. The, here is a system that you are saying covers the nation, gets 200 therapists. Why are we not making use of that? Uh, that's a very good question. We keep asking the NHS exactly that is question. It, here we are. We can be utilised. It would save huge amount of resources, and just uh, in relation to the cost, to, w- when a veteran has problems, this can result in suicide at the most extreme, but also family breakdown, job loss. You're talking about hundreds of thousands of pounds in social costs for each incident, hundreds of thousands. The Matthew Wright Show on Talk Radio. We talk an awful lot about freedom of speech and uh, and we rightly concerned whenever we see the freedom of speech curtailed or clipped in some short shape or other. I've never really considered freedom to read before, but after um, the horror king, Stephen King, went out and criticised uh, the publisher Hachette uh, for uh, not publishing Woody Allen's memoir uh, following protests, um, well, he got me thinking about it, really, because... 
we have the power to decide to choose which books we pick up and read, unless, of course, that decision is made for us by publishers. Now, Hachet's decision uh, decision to drop the Woody Allen book makes me very uneasy, King uh, the Horror Writer said on Twitter. It's not him. I don't give a damn about Mr Allen. It's who gets muzzled next that worries me. And uh, The Guardian tells how Joe Glanville, from uh, a former director of writers' group uh, Pen, P-E-N, uh, an award-winning editor of Index on Censorship, was also concerned... Uh, She said, I'm always afraid when a mob, however small and well-read, exercises power without any accountability, process or redress. This frightens me much more than the prospect of Woody Allen's autobiography hitting the stores. Now, the book, as I I understand it, is called Apropos of Nothing. It was due to be published in April. I mean, Woody Allen's um, family situation, I I think we'd need a full three-hour show to to properly explain it, but um, there are allegations of abuse uh, within the family that he denies. Hasn't Um, been convicted of anything. No, but... uh, Ronan, um, uh, Ronan, his son, son yeah. is is really sort of um, uh, well, it's very much sided with his mother Mia Farrow Absolutely. against his father. Yes, I'll be honest. I don't know if I can pick away a route through the confusion. Um, I wonder if uh, Jemima Steinfeld from uh, the Index on Censorship can help. I just mentioned them. She joins us on the line now. Good afternoon, Jemima. Good afternoon. Go on, you you, you seem keen to get going. Are you far away? uh, Yeah, you were just talking about the confusion. I mean, firstly, I think there is the confusion about the family and, you know, uh, they're accusing each other of this and that. Um, I would say in terms of the allegations against Woody Allen, he has... um, had two charges that have both been dropped. So at this yes. stage, it is just suspicion. And Ronan Farrow has actually said on the record that there should be tr- a tremendous cloud of suspicion over this guy. But that is a separate issue to whether he should have the right to speak and the right to be published and us have the right to read. Right. And Index on Censorship's line would be that he should have all of those rights especially once the publisher has commissioned him. It's different. You know, the publisher has the right to not commission him, but once they commissioned him, they shouldn't be kowtowing to kind of the mob because, you know, what's acceptable today is not necessarily acceptable tomorrow. It's, well it's a really, really bad precedent. And, and also, is publishing about reading from the people that you think are kind of quote-unquote woke I don't think it is. It's about challenging people. It's about inviting all kinds of different opinions in and letting the reader decide. I can think of so, so many fascinating sort of theoretical questions here. But in in essence, he could self-publish the book so he can still get the book out there. And if people choose to read it, people can still make that decision. So all that's really happened is, is one could argue it's just a legal situation about whether or not he gets his advance or has to return his advance or something like that. The actual publication, I guess, would still he can still publish. He, he can indeed still self-publish. And he's obviously incredibly wealthy, so yeah. that's probably a route that he could go down. But for many people, they can't self-publish. And so what you're saying is, do you want a world in which people who kind of fall on the wrong side of the kind of the current cultural mood that they have to self-publish. And then for lots of people, they can't self-publish, I said, because it is in, the barriers are incredibly high. So I don't think that we want to be going down a road where we only publish the acceptable and that anyone, whatever that may be at the time, and whatever that may be also within that publishing house. You know, I to throw a hypothetical scenario out here because I think about these things all the time. You know, what <laughs> if you've got a publishing house where someone is very anti um, the decision for a woman to have choice about abortion or not. 
and they're trying to publish someone who is pro-choice. You know, do you, do you have a situation where that person, that the anti-choice person has a bigger voice and therefore you don't have the pro-choice person? What if, what if, can I ask some theoretical questions? What, what if, sure. uh, what if, um, what if after um, signing the deal with Woody Allen or, or any writer, that writer was then subsequently accused of uh, a child sex offence, uh, charges brought but uh, a court case pending, would you then advocate holding back on publication until clarity, legal clarity is brought? Well, I don't think that this should be about what someone's been accused of entirely. I mean, we, yeah. we consume all kinds of art, right, from people that have been accused and have been proven to be yes, all kinds of yes. things that we don't agree with. Um, I think this is a question about whether someone should be able to write something. Of course, as you're is saying, it, you're it, kind it, of nailing down beyond just the writing and you're going to, should they be published? Well, the, I was going to say, the thing I'm fascinated by, because I've never really wrestled with this issue before, is actually the freedom to read. That, that, mm. that Woody Allen, whatever one might think of Woody Allen, that's up to the individual to decide. Woody Allen has, has written a memoir. A publishing house has agreed to publish it. The decision as to whether to read the book is down to any individual, unless it's picked up as a school text, which I think would be extremely unlikely. And so... I, I was really left, Jemima, thinking from a consumer point of view. I just don't understand Hachet's decision because it's, it's, the, it's the reader's decision to buy completely, the book. Completely. Oh. And if you enjoyed all of that, make sure you tune in to The Matthew Wright Show with Kevin O'Sullivan every weekday from 1 on Talk Radio. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.